0: Thanks so much for taking some time to talk to me. I have to say that um, for quite a while, I wanted to sit down and talk to you for a couple of reasons. One is I, I don't think our community, uh, the AML community, hears enough from the security side, which I know sounds strange because because you spent your career, part of your career doing that. But I think a lot of times, especially when I was at A, we wanted to do programming that was relevant to, to your part of the community hey, we went to you because <laughs> you were so well-connected and had so much experience. But also I think there's this um, there's this view from compliance officers in the general banking space is I don't think they know enough uh, about how broker-dealers and securities firms handle AML. I mean, they know it in the abstract, I guess. But so long-winded way of saying it, I really appreciate this because there's a couple of things that strike me as both very current and very interesting that I want you to opine on. But maybe the first thing to start off with, uh, you spent uh, almost 14 years at E-Trade. You spent a long period of time at the Office of Thrift Supervision with the Fed for a bit. You're at the SEC. So you have a really broad private-public experience. And I know you're consulting now. Um, the first question for somebody like yourself is, how, besides the obvious, how has AML changed? Obviously, there's a lot of things going on. But certainly when we both started doing this years ago, it wasn't as complicated. So besides that, how is it how has it changed from your uh, perspective as a practitioner? Uh,
1: well, a great way to start, John, and, and thanks so much for uh, inviting me to do this. Uh, it's it's really a great, great privilege. Um, I I, I, I got to tell you, I think the use of technology and, and the availability of technology is the number one way in which the aml world has changed really particularly if you think about it post patriot act right Right. and and because if you think about it pre-patriot act i mean the changes are so enormous that uh that it would take a day to talk about that but but even even um you know the way the community approached the reg regulatory rule writing as part of uh, as part of the patriot act nobody thought about making deposits on their cell phone nobody thought about about trades happening in, 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 literally a millisecond, um, you know, th- that level of technological innovation, uh, really hadn't hit yet. Um, and so it, it was starting certainly. Um, but, but <laughs> terms like, yeah. on, uh, you know, AI or, or, or RPA, no, nobody really was, that wasn't on anybody's radar screen. Sure. Um, so I think those are some of the very biggest changes, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in our community.
0: You know, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that and that sort of puts me in a, ask a question that's not AML related specifically, but it is related to to the world which you've been part of. Now that technology has changed so much and we have the pejorative day traders and we have, you know, we had the GameStop and all that kind of stuff. Not to opine on that, but what are the challenges from an AML perspective or financial crime prevention perspective, having so many individuals now sort of, the expansion of retail investors that didn't really exist. I mean, you always had Schwab and some other, but you and your former place, E-Trade, but still it's much more now. So the, you, if you add the technology increase that you've just talked about, which I 100% agree with, with all these new players that, let's face it, don't have the sophistication. They don't have programs in place and that kind of stuff. What are the challenges uh, for oversight, uh, if, if any, in terms of financial crime prevention? You know the
1: challenges are enormous. Uh, the and, and you really uh, you, you know you you make a great point. I, I think I think what happened during the pandemic and, and the increase in, in the amount of uh, discount you know customers going online and taking taking opportunities with discount online brokers uh, with zero commissions. Uh, you know the explosion of people who decide to, to jump on a Reddit chat board and start making uh, trading decisions uh, based on that, uh, you know, it, it just, it, it, as you know, John, I mean, the your task as, as, as an AML practitioner is that you have to monitor every transaction by every customer every day. And right. when that explodes uh, like it did during the pandemic, then, then you have to do uh, a number of things. Number one, you, you you certainly have to have a triage approach with 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 suspicious activity uh, alerts, so so that you are still jumping on the most important ones. Um, you have to take a look at your staffing and and, and see if you can um, you know change change some of the folks who are who are maybe doing. Uh, you know, helping out with RPA, building or, or helping out with some testing, and maybe they can start looking at some alerts, right? Or you may start need, need, need to bring in some, some outside resources. Um, you know, all of those things are, are the types of things that you have to worry about. And, and, and those challenges were, were very real um, during the pandemic. So, so first you're dealing with having, having to take care of your team and, right. and, and, and making sure everything's running correctly and smoothly um while you go uh, to, a, to a remote you know, work environment, um, you know, you have to worry about the mental health of your team, and then you have to worry about um, uh, the, the, the incredible metrics that are going on uh, that impact uh, the day-to-day workload of your organization. Yeah, that's so
0: true. And obviously, all, uh, all the financial sector, many sectors obviously, had to grapple with that challenge and will continue to do the debate about remote uh, work and all that sort of stuff. But uh, again, overseeing fraud prevention, you mentioned SARS. So that leads me to, to a current case that we've talked about offline uh, that was uh, announced uh, by the SEC a couple weeks ago or last week, I guess. Um, so the SEC uh, settled charges against a Colorado based uh, registered broker dealer, an affiliate of uh, great West life and annuity insurance company, and it's both for violating securities laws uh, and some other things, but for the filing of suspicious activity reports. Um, give us a sense of the, of the theme in that, in that case or the themes in that case. What struck me, uh, not to prejudice your answer, was that the SEC was very specific that there were elements. I think it said five essential elements that weren't included in the SAR. But just in general, what did the institution do what were the violations uh to talk a bit about the case i thought it was fascinating
1: uh yeah sure john i I agree it is it is interesting and it's and it's kind of one of of really three main things that i've seen coming from the securities from the sec really over the last six months but to your question um it was that they you know even if in the situation where they did file sars the sars were not deemed to be adequate um and 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 the SEC has been has been jumping on this theme for a little while now. That it's not it's not enough to just say okay, well we filed the SAR, but you know in this in this case they talked about the URL right and the, and the lack of a URL. Right. Right? I haven't seen that in an enforcement. You know that that is being a specific something that that has to be included in the narrative of a SAR. They kind of hinted at. I don't think they found this found this, but they kind of hinted at the fact that. That maybe the underlying broker-dealer knew more than they were willing to say in the narrative, and and sometimes in these orders, what can be a little bit frustrating, and you get that with the securities in the securities world is that you know these are negotiated orders, right? Um, and and so you don't always know exactly what's going on, uh, you know, in, in in reading it, and and you have to kind of read between the lines. Um, And and that's certainly one of it. It's possible that they knew more than they had said. But 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 clearly the overall uh, adequacy uh, of of the facts, the specific facts of the case, um, all of the pertinent, um, you know, support information that 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 the BD should have. All of those things are kind of picked up in that narrative. Um, And as I mentioned, I think it's 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 one of. Uh, a couple of things going on uh, with the securities, you know, with, with the SEC. Uh, OC it used to be called OC. now it's called exams. Uh, they recently came out with some guidance in which they talked about the fact that there was, uh, in, in, in doing some, some broker-dealer exams, they found a number of firms that had inadequate SAR, uh, SAR filing process. Certainly part of it was the process the, the ability to identify and then, you know, detect and then report. But it was also within the body of the SAR itself right. uh, that they felt that there was some inadequate um, uh, information. And then in in December uh, of 2020, the same, same time I think that the AMLA came out and and, and, and probably one of the reasons why it got really next to no publicity. Right. Yeah. But the second circuit affirmed, uh, the Alpine Securities case, uh, which had come out of, I think, the Southern District or the Eastern District of New York, in which they essentially affirmed, first of all, they affirmed that, that, that the SEC has jurisdiction um, to, uh, you know, to enforce the BSA. But that case had, particularly the district court opinion, had a really lengthy discussion about what constituted an adequate SAR filing. Um, and that's a great case. So if you're on the broker-dealer side, even if you're not on the broker-dealer side, even on the bank side, if you want to see a really good uh, discussion from a district court as to what they would expect to see in a SAR, that's a, that's that's one of the best I've seen, whether it's banks, broker dealers, whatever. Um, and, and so I think the combination of those three things, John, the the the, the recent decision, you know, the, the fact that that SEC uh, exams came out with that guidance. They didn't do that out of the kindness of their heart, you know, right. they, that that was certainly it's not surprising that there's some enforcement actions. I wouldn't be surprised to see more enforcement actions, um, but it's very clearly a trend.
0: You know, it's it's interesting about the guidance. You know, historically, the uh, SEC was seen as my words, an outlier in terms of communication with the regulated entities uh, in that you know, at least since 2005 and probably before in various uh, different vehicles. But since 2005, we've had the FFIEC exam manual on BSA uh, that included all the federal banking agencies, uh, credit union and, um, and and FinCEN. And so you'd have these programs that you and I attended, you know, uh, these AML programs where the, the bank agencies would talk about, you know, the um, – Uh, The manual says this, this and this. And here's some good direction. Some even said this is a Bible uh, in terms of understanding. (laughs) But the SEC would uh, always uh, defer. And in fact, we the joke used to be joke, you know, again, my words is that the SEC would simply say, you know, don't violate the law. I mean, they're going to come out. And they're going to tell you some things they've seen from published enforcement actions, but they're not going to uh, give you any sort of public information. And then what they'd always say is these are for examiners. We're not going to publicize that. So I would you tell me, but it sounds like with exam, uh, the exam, the exam division guidance, that's you're right. They do it for a reason. They want they want the entities to understand what what they see are problematic. But that seems to be a, a movement away from not uh, communicating publicly what they want, or, or am I misreading it? I assume that when examiners come into the institution, they communicate, so that probably has been happening since the beginning of, of regulation in terms of the SEC, but is it fair to say that they, they're they getting closer to what the banks do, or is this sort of uh, not a one-off, but this is sort of, no, we're gonna issue things when we found problems and we want you to fix them?
1: John, I think those are all great points. And I think it's almost the natural maturation of how a regulator, uh, you know, interprets and implements enforcement of the BSA. You know, Uh, if you think about it, on the security side, the AML rules really didn't become applicable until the Patriot Act. Right. And and so the banking side, I mean, the BSA got passed in whatever, nineteen seventy. Um, and so, you know, the, the, banking regulators had a huge head start in, in terms of how they, they, you know, had developed it and interpreted it and all those things. And I don't think, I, I don't, I don't think there was enough, you know, uh, AML regulatory knowledge within the SEC to, sure. to put yeah. together a, a manual. I do think the other piece of it is that that is, you know, what you said about, the SEC's view is that exam procedures and the exam process is not an open book test. Right. 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 And, and so that philosophy is different. I, I do think, and I think that philosophy remains, I, I don't think you're going to see the SEC or FINRA come up with, with it, with, with, uh, uh an exam guides, but I do think that those agencies have listened and I think that what they, and, and as they've, Recognize that AML is a lot more than books and records, and at the SEC, that's all it ever was. You know, they 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 viewed it as being okay. Well, you have to make sure you comply with the CIP rule, right? Your books and records have to reflect that you've you've you know you've you've uh, identified and verified your customer's identification. Um, they've moved beyond that to recognizing the significance of AML um, in the financial crimes world. Right. They've brought more enforcement cases, obviously, you know, the, the one we were just talking about. Um, and I think as they've done that, they, they've, they've recognized uh, the necessity of, of developing additional ways to communicate. And, and so I think the SEC and FINRA do these, you know, on annual basis, they do their exam priorities. Um, and those are great tools for, for practitioners. Um, and, and, you know, there will be a section on AML. Um, in, 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 a lot of them, and, or, and if there is, is, it's a very clear indication that, that they are very focused on it, you know, for FINRA for years, uh, talked about in their, in their, um, you know, in their AML, uh, exam priorities, uh, their concern about cap related securities and trading in that space. Right. And so, uh, you know, they certainly telegraphed where they were going, um, through those, through those vehicles.
0: Yeah, you know it's interesting. The the alert that they referenced uh, back in, I guess they issued it in March, where um, they go to great lengths to say that this is not a rule. This is uh, simply where we're we're repeating things that we've seen in uh, in uh, uh, finished exams and enforcement actions. I thought just the way just the way they crafted the guidance document is definitely different than how the banking agencies uh, <laughs> have done, to say the least, right? Yeah. One of the things that struck me was what's in, the, in this Colorado case, and, and they call it out very specifically, that the exam division says a whole section on the failure to respond to suspicious activity. So that was clearly on their minds in terms of this or filing, as they say in this case, inaccurate or incomplete SARS, which is really interesting to me because, you know, the debate, as you know, because you, you flagged it, that the AML reform bill that was signed into law in January does anticipate uh, potentially making changes to the SAR infrastructure so that, and again, my my prediction, not necessarily going to happen, that perhaps there'll be certain types of activity that won't demand extensive narratives or information like structuring and, and maybe, you know, some that aren't deprioritized by the agencies. So on the one hand, I think the banking agencies and FinCEN are saying, we get it, right? You guys are filing, you guys meaning the whole community. You're filing all these SARs. Um, you're doing it for the right reasons, but some are more valuable than others. And then uh, perhaps we change, they won't change the thresholds, but perhaps they change the scope and, and maybe there will be different level, two-tier SARs, that kind of stuff. Who knows? But the SEC by saying, hey, wait a second, if you either deliberately or uh, some other omission fail to file complete SARS, that's also a problem, which is also a problem for the banking side, to be fair. But that's interesting. That seems to be going in a a different direction thematically than the reform bill. Like I said, I might be reading too much into it. And I don't disagree with what exams said, because, yeah, if you are intentionally avoiding Filing information that that negates the value of the SAR, and if certainly if it's incomplete, you're just checking boxes. What's you know what's the point of that? But it just seems to me that the SEC is sort of st- stepping up in a little different direction than the bank agencies. Well, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think I think that's very true. I think they see
1: different SARs.
0: Yeah, right.
1: right. I, I think the volume of SARs that are filed. Uh, and I think this is also one of the concerns that the sec has had is that there are very big broker dealers out there that have not been as consistent in uh filing sars as as other places have been right they, right. they are they are worried that there has not been the the overall SAR fight. so it's a little bit different you don't have structuring, right? You don't have customers walking in with, with 99, you know, most broker dealers don't accept cash um, or currency. So, so, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the, some of the, what are considered the routine stars, although, you know, the, there are some, some analogous type things on the security side, but it's not, it's not quite the same. Um, I, I do think though, that, that the call for, Streamlining certain types of SAR filing, um, allowing firms to utilize—I I think on the on the um, on the SAR side—allowing firms to utilize AI uh, in connection with with with, with alerts uh, would be huge on on right. the security side because there are so many false positives. You know, I, I think during the the pandemic, there were some firms that got. Just inundated with with uh, insider trading alerts because there were such huge spikes in some of the some of the trading on a daily basis that that if that was the parameters upon which your you, you know your 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 monitoring system was 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 premised then you, then you were going to get overwhelmed with those so I think that to the extent that the AMLA is telling all the regulators including the SEC hey we absolutely think you need to pay attention to technological advances. I think that will help push the SEC in a way, even if they seem to be going slightly differently um, with, with 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 some of the these cases that, that have come out.
0: Yeah, th- yeah, that clearly makes sense. Um, I guess leads me to a couple final questions. Um, you know, you, you, you obviously you said it correctly that they're looking at different types of SARS. You know, you and I both work closely with law enforcement partners and have during our careers. And one of the gaps that law enforcement will admit is that agents, um, you know, I, I think you can make a generalization. Don't, uh, they're not experts in financial services. Let's put it that way. I mean, it's and not that that's simple. So a lot of times agents will tell us, uh, those of us, in the AML community, that my agents need to better understand how banks work, how broker dealers work, that sort of thing. What what's your educated guess on? I don't say the ability, but the focus of law enforcement working with the SEC to bring a financial crime case in AML, not not in the typical stock fraud and that kind of stuff, versus banking. Is there a distinction? Do, uh, when you were when you were involved in programming for broker dealers, did the FBI show up and IRS to present like they do banking? Is it similar, but it's just you know just different. Things you have to learn, or uh, again, am I am I uh, misreading? Because my my take is, I'm sure they participated, but given that they found banking difficult, I personally think the securities world is a little more difficult. But maybe that's because I don't, I just don't do that.
1: I I think that that's uh, yeah another another <laughs> yeah. great point. I don't think, from an AML perspective, right? right? From an AML perspective, I don't think law enforcement has a great handle on. Uh, bad actors ability to utilize the securities industry uh, to move money. I don't. Right. Um, I think if they did, then investment advisors would certainly be under the AML regime. Right. right. Because I think right. you know there was a, a so- supposedly leaked FBI report in, in about a year, two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago which talks about, you know, leaked. And yeah, you know, we're, we're both from D.C., John. So, so leaked has an interesting context. Whether <laughs> yeah. this was, I don't know how this was leaked, but, but um, you know, and the FBI report was very clear that they view this as a big hole. And, and I don't think that in general, the FBI does have a great understanding from, from a money laundering perspective uh, how easy it is to, 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 to utilize broker-dealers uh, and investment advisors um you know to to move illicit gains um and i do think that the distinction you brought is important because the fbi is really good at bringing market manipulation cases right exactly right? they are yeah. really good at working with 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 the southern district of new york and the eastern district of new york and and other folks within the sec at 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 focusing on market manipulation
0: yeah that that's a great point um and yeah investment advisors Portions of the real estate industry, even our profession, lawyers, as we all know, there's there's definitely gaps in the AML infrastructure that that could be improved. But some groups are better lobbyists than others. Right?
1: <laughs> That's for sure. And that
0: is if you want to talk about a
1: well-heeled group and, and, and the ability to uh, to lobby effectively, that that is, uh, you know, private equity, hedge funds, uh, yep. family offices and, you know, all that world. Uh, they have plenty of, of lobbying of lobbying power.
0: Right. All right. So, John, thanks for doing this. Last question for you. Um, now that you're, you're out consulting, you've obviously worked in the securities world and the agencies and all of that. Uh, what do you see down the line besides technology? 100% agree with you. Obviously, technology is a major, major driver and, and innovation becomes important and all of that. Where do you see the AML infrastructure a year or two down the line? Now that we have the reform bill, obviously, or law, we're going to have studies and strategies and all that kind of stuff. Do, do you see any potential, uh, I will say dramatic changes, but changes in, in, in emphasis in the next couple of years? What are you looking for as an AML veteran? Uh,
1: so I think, um, you know, the AMLA, uh, the, their inclusion of, of digital assets and the entire digital asset, uh, uh, you know, aspect right. is going to be a major change in the industry over the next year or two including things like is the playing field level in terms of regulatory approach is it is is you know an OCC regulated bank or a FINRA SEC regulated broker dealer subject to the same level of scrutiny from an AML perspective that a state regulated and and FinCEN registered uh you know digital asset you know, entity is right. Or, or um, what about the use of the blockchain? I think if there's an increased use of the blockchain for uh, financial transactions, you know, that's going to pose um, a huge change in, in, in how the industry approaches it, because you have concerns about the ability to identify, um, you know, who exactly it is that's making the transaction on the blockchain, uh, um, you know, how important is it going to be to take a look at clusters and whether clusters of known bad actors that are, that are transacting business with, with, with a typical bank or a typical broker dealer, is there going to be responsibility there? So I, I, think that's kind of a whole new universe.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's, it's going to be very interesting. And as we both try to do bring the next couple of generations, of folks to stay in our space, because we find it so important. I think, uh, you're going to have to learn a lot, a lot more about tech and uh, virtual currency and all sorts of things. So um, I, I'm 100% very interested to in see what's going to happen. So John Davidson, founder and principal at now AML Pro LLC. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Uh, really appreciate it. really appreciate your insight. Stay safe. We'll talk again.
1: Thanks, John. Greatly appreciate it. Take care.